Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast, helping you invest in property for freedom, choice, and profit. You'll learn new, innovative, and multiple streams of property income, whether you want to start, scale, or systemize, and even if you don't have deposits. Hi, I'm Peter Jones, Chartered Surveyor, Author, and Property Investor, and this is the Progressive Property Podcast. And today, I'm joined by the lovely Pauline Heron. Hi, Pauline, how are you? I'm good, thank you. Lovely to be here, Peter. It's lovely to have you here. And one of the things that I do find very exciting about doing this podcast is learning so much about people who I thought I knew quite well. <laughs> and I've learned so much about Pauline and doing a little bit of research on you for this podcast. And I'm very excited about some of the stuff we're going to be talking about. But one of the things which makes me very excited about having you here, Pauline, is I can almost feel that I had a bit of a hand in you being here. Because the very first time we met would have been at a JV day which I was running about three years ago, would it have been? Absolutely, absolutely. It was you that got me into the progressive community in the first place. So thank you very much, Peter. It was indeed. I I will take a little bit of credit for that. But um, lovely to have you here and lovely that you did actually join the progressive community after that JV day because you then went on to become VIP member. That's right. Yeah, VIP is the 12-month mentoring program which progressive run and you did that. And you met JV partners and you did all sorts of amazing stuff, which we're going to talk about. Mm. But you haven't always been in property, have you, Pauline? No, no. No, I've had quite a lot of other things that I've been involved in. Yeah. So where do you come from? Who are you? What did you do? Oh, well. What was your life before property? Well, my main life, I mean, I had a a number of things uh, years and years ago. I I was in secretarial, admin, I was a paramedic for a while. Were you? Um, Yeah, and that wasn't in the notes, was it? It wasn't. I I was a paramedic. I've learned something new again. Yeah, I was a paramedic for a while. That's what got me into parachuting, which is in the notes. No, that is Um, in the notes, because you weren't just a parachutist, but you're actually a pretty good one, weren't you? Yeah, I was a competitive parachutist, yeah. So I used to compete for them, representing the Air Force in parachuting. Which is no mean feat. Because I imagine they have quite a few people they could call on to represent them. Yeah, but in the days that I was doing it, there were there were a lot of people that were very much interested in it. Um, um, and in fact, I think I was the only female representative in the day that I was doing it as well. So there weren't there was no women that were in that interested in it at that time. Lots of guys, mm. um, but um, but yeah, I mean it was a fantastic time. It was a fantastic time. So yeah, the parachute, the paramedics led, led me into doing the parachuting. So I started doing parachuting, and it was from my parachute parachuting as I was before I joined the military that led me into joining the military Um, and then when I was in the military obviously I pursued the parachuting as well and and started competing for them. Right but it wasn't just parachuting was it? What what other sporting achievements do you have to your name? Um, Well before I joined the military I was uh, playing Gaelic football well, no, I um, didn't know that. So yeah. I was playing Gaelic football and I also for a very short time played soccer. And my choice at the time that I made be- when I was going into the military was I'd gone out to play soccer in the States and I played in Tampa Bay Stadium. Um, and it was amazing because it was, you know, women's soccer in the UK back in the 80s just wasn't taken seriously at all. But when I went out to the States to play and we were in Tampa Bay Stadium and, you know, the TVs were there and it was broadcast and there was a full stadium. So this is proper professional football? Proper professional football. It was pretty awesome. It was pretty awesome. Um, So I I went out there for a while playing that and just before I went to the States I'd done my interviews for the military Mm. and when I when I came back 
I then had a decision to make because I actually got offered a professional contract in the States for a year or I could take my military career. And at the time, I made the decision to go into the military because I didn't feel brave enough to go to the States on my own for a year. Mm. <laughs> so that was my reason for, for stopping the football and going into the military. And how um, do you feel about that now? Um, you yeah, glad? I'm, you regret? No, no, no. Because I didn't... T- I, I went... I actually started playing soccer because I wanted to go on the trip to the States. Mm. My real passion at the time was Gaelic football. Um, and I only took the soccer training and, and engagement because I wanted to go out to the States. So I wasn't passionate about it and it's not something I've ever followed since. I'm much more of a, rug, of a rugby fan than soccer. Um, but no, I didn't regret going into the military at all. I had an absolutely amazing time in the military. So, so that was my main career basically. So I was 25 years in the military and, um, and certainly the, f- the first half of it Um, was just incredible. It really was. The second half, things changed a lot. There were a lot more regulations. There were so many, so many cuts in it, but it was still a brilliant career. Mm. Um, And I I wouldn't change any of that. So I was delighted that I had my opportunities that I had in the military. Um, And I had the... um, I had the parachuting, which I was doing from day one in the military. But a new sport that I took up when I went in there was also volleyball, because on the station that I was at, there were hardly any women on the station, so there were no team sports. And I was very much a team player, and there were no team sports that I could participate in, but I could take part in the mixed volleyball team. So I started playing playing volleyball, um, and I actually escalated through that, and I became a combined services player. So it meant that I represented the Army, the Air Force, and the Navy as a combined services player um, in competitions um, in the UK and overseas. So I did that for most of my military career as well. I'm getting the impression, Pauline, that you're pretty good at whatever you turn your hand to. You casually say, I only did soccer because I wanted to go to the States, and they end up offering you a professional contract. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty <laughs> well, cool, Well, I put isn't it? myself wholeheartedly into anything I take on. Um, I, I don't like to take anything that I don't put maximum amount of effort into. Mm. Um, and so if I take something on, I want to achieve well in it, and that's just the way I've always been on it. Well, so. mindset and psychology is very important to you, isn't it? Yes. And we will talk about that a little bit later. But just going, continuing with the sporting theme, though. <laughs> Come on, tell us everything else you've done, because there's there's more on my. I'm going to chuck my notes away, by the way, because oh, you've okay. also done a lot more than you told me. <laughs> what what so, else are you good at? Come on, so, don't be shy. Well, sporting is a big part of my life. I've always been involved in sport. It's it's something always my whole life that I've been interested in and involved in. So I did a lot of sporting things. Um, I when I was in the military, I also learned to scuba dive. Mm-hmm. Um, so beca- I became an advanced scuba diver, and um, that, that I spent a lot of time doing scuba diving there, and went away on various expeditions. And in fact, I actually had lined up an amazing expedition at one point, and I blame my son for the fact that I didn't go ahead with it because one of the scuba diving expeditions that I had arranged to go on was a three-month expedition in Belize which is in Central America mm. on a conservation program and I was going out there with the military to do that and everything was lined up everything was sorted it was all ready to go then I discovered I was pregnant so, uh-huh. <laughs> so that had to get put on hold so I didn't get out to Belize scuba diving uh. which was unfortunate but I have scuba dived in a number of places and love it and still do the scuba diving um, and which son was that you were pregnant? That was with? my eldest one. That was Aiden. Aiden. So, well, yeah. Aiden's a lovely guy, so I'm sure you don't regret it too no, much. No, yeah. no, I wouldn't give him up to have yeah. gone there. But I just wish he'd come a little bit later, so I could have got yeah. my scuba diving in Belize in first. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, but but that's something that was a big part of my time when I was in the military. 
And the other um, really sporting thing, military-wise, that I did was um, skiing, mm. um, because I I started skiing when I was when I was there. Um, and again, at the time, I'd been posted out to Germany, and a lot of people used to go skiing out there um, because it was quite easy. You could drive down for the weekends. Um, so I started doing skiing just as a hobby. Um, but as I said, I put myself into absolutely everything when I do it. So as soon as I did it, I loved it. Um, so I then qualified as a skiing instructor. And I used to spend a lot of time taking expeditions away skiing. Mm. Um, had to sleep in snow holes out in Norway and all mm. sorts of things on my survival stuff that mm. I did with the skiing. Um, and I also competed um, in downhill and slalom for the Air Force. And I was a uh, veteran silver uh, in the Air Force and what was really good for me was that I actually beat most of those that were a lot younger than me mm. <laughs> so mm. so for me that was great so Fantastic. yeah so I did a lot of skiing while I was in and, and that was great and I enjoyed it and and one of the things I'm really passionate about well is seeing how people can progress and how they learn so a lot of the things that I competed in I also became qualified to train in as I did with the skiing and when we used to go away on ski expeditions the guys who were always yeah, come on, we want the most advanced skiers so that we can go and beast the slopes. They were always delighted when I came on the, on the training weeks because I was really happy to work with the beginners because you see the biggest curve in them, you know, from, from actually no confidence to my aim was always to try and get them down at least part of a black slope after mm. week one. And virtually, I think, with one exception, I, um, I succeeded in getting every student I brought down a back black slope safely and happily at the end of the week. So I just love seeing people progress and learn new skills. And so that's what I did on that as well. Right. So clearly that decision to go into the military and not professional soccer was a good one. Yeah, And absolutely. it sounds like you had an absolute ball. Yeah. And obviously this is a progressive property <laughs> podcast, so we're not here to talk about the military. But I'm intrigued. What were you actually doing in the military and did you see action? So, yeah, I was in the military as an air traffic controller. Oh. So I was an air traffic control officer. And um, there were two periods when I was supposed to go in initially in the Falklands. Um, we I was due to go out to the Falklands and I missed that. I was one of the first women that was assigned to go out to there. Um, and there was something that changed. I can't really remember what it was. There was, some, there was some change that occurred that meant on the slot that I was due to go out, they stopped it. So I didn't get out there. So that was a big disappointment to me. Um, um, so my main career was always in, in there was as an air traffic control officer. Um, and that was very exciting and enjoyable in itself. And then the other thing, the roles that I was in was I was a relocation officer for a number of years. So what happened was we were closing our bases down in Germany. So I was responsible for all the relocation of one of the bases on the um, admin and support side coming back to the UK. So all the families, the houses, the schooling, um, everything like that, the jobs, all those sort of things involved in it. Not the operationals and aircraft side. There was a colleague that was running the operations side. So I worked for a few years when we were closing one of our bases, relocating, relocating over um, 1,200 personnel and their families back to the UK. Mm, that sounds and, like uh, a big job with a lot of responsibility. It was, and it was uh, it was very interesting because the military at the time didn't engage very much with um, with the civilians. Um, we had our own world, and we worked in our own world. Um, but because of the that particular role, there was a massive amount of civilian involvement here in the UK that was required with education authorities, with housing, and um, with employment, all sorts of things. And uh, it re involved travelling between the UK 
in Germany a lot and um, so that that was really interesting to do and it was a very very different role um, and I loved it and, and they were closing another base down just after that one completed and I tried to get that role as well mm. but they decided somebody else needed to go into that role so I couldn't do that one so I went back to air traffic again um, for a while and then I started in recruiting so I became a recruiter actually in the office here in Peterborough my mm. first job in recruiting was running the recruiting office here in Peterborough and then I took over the Cambridge office and then I became responsible for recruiting for all service uh, RAF both officers and airmen in the east of England so I had seven officers that I was running um, recruiting into the Air Force um, and that again was a very different role, very interesting, going and working with schools um, and different things in, in those, in universities. Um, and then I had a brief time back in air traffic before I was medically discharged in 2008. Ah, okay, well let's put that on pause there for now. Because just backtracking a little bit, what I said wasn't entirely true, was it? That you came into property later after the military, because before you actually did all of that, you did actually have a flirt with property, didn't you? Yeah, I like flirting. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> We're being filmed, so be careful. <laughs> so yes, My I wife might see. <laughs> so yes, I did. And, and it was quite interesting because I, um, my very first property I bought when I was 17. 17? Yeah. Okay. How did you manage that? So um, I had been working from the age of 12. So I had been I had been at school as well, but yes. I'd always had a job okay, since checking. twelve. Yes. Um, so I'd been working since the age of twelve, and so I liked spending money, but I liked saving money as well. And I um, I had a little bit of saving, not much, but the fact that I had some savings meant that my mom said, "Okay, I'll help you out," as mm. the banks of mom and dads mm. do. Mm. And so because I showed her that I did have a little bit of savings, she helped me out with a deposit to to buy a house, a flat actually. It was a ground floor masonette, and. Uh, and actually that was in itself was interesting because I was just thinking I nearly got a mortgage retention on that because they said I had woodworm and the floor and the stairs. Mm. And I went back and challenged them because I said the stairs are outside the building because they go upstairs and they're concrete. And the floorboards are not floorboards, they're concrete as well. Mm. So, <laughs> so that was an interesting survey that just popped into my mind. Mm. But anyhow, so I bought the house, uh, bought the flat, um, not very far away from my mum, but because I just wanted to move out. I just wanted my own independence and to move out. Um, and so I bought, I bought that. That was my first dalliance with property at 17. Yeah. And have you still got it? Sadly, no. Sadly, no. That was probably one of my biggest mistakes ever was that that was sold. But you know what? I didn't do badly in it because I lived in it for three years. I never paid a penny towards the mortgage. I had enough money from the from the renting out the rooms within it to cover all my bills and a little bit extra. And then I sold it for a profit when so I sold it. So you bought it. it and then you rented out the room. So you made your own little HMO. Yeah. And you were one of your own tenants. Yeah. Because you were there rent free. Yeah. I was Brilliant. there rent free for three years. Brilliant. I was there rent free and it was covering most of my bills there as well um, for three years and then I sold it. But you know what? If I had the knowledge I had now, there's no way I'd have sold it then. Yes. And I walk past it regularly. Do you? And, and I think, oh God, if I'd just kept that all that time, what it would be. But you know what? We don't know what we don't know, do we? We don't know. We don't know. And as our Rob Moore, our own Rob Moore says, we're either earning or learning. Yeah, so absolutely. It's a learning experience. But you obviously put that to good effect though, because wind forward a few years, even while you were still in the military, you started flirting, dabbling, 
getting back into property again. Mm. So how, how did that happen? Well, my next part of um, renting properties out was actually when I was posted overseas to Germany and I had, a, I had a house then. In fact, I had two houses at that point because I had one that I owned um, on my own and I'd got married and we had another house that we jointly owned. So we rented those two properties out while we were overseas. Um, and that went fine for us, that went really well. And then when we came back from Germany, um, we were in the fortunate position that we were in very, very well paid jobs and we had quite a lot of surplus cash. Mm. Um, so I was trying to think, well, you know, the properties that we were renting out worked very well for us. Maybe we should start buying some more properties. Um, but both the properties that we'd bought originally, we'd bought because we were going to live in it. it was conventional mortgage and everything else. Um, and sort of my mindset and the mindset is such a such a, a powerful thing to either hold you back or propel you forward. And at the time, my mindset and my upbringing and everything else had said to me, don't get any debt, you know, if you've got plenty of money now, so just buy all these properties cash. And so that's what we were doing. We were buying properties cash. And that, again, is something else I would definitely change if I had the knowledge that I have now. Because if every one property in those days, I could have bought 10. Mm. But when was this? In the uh, early 90s. So this is pre-buy-to-let. Mm-hmm. Buy-to-let as a product, as a loan mm-hmm. product, hadn't been invented. So your options for finance were probably limited anyway at that point. No, there was still plenty because we had looked at it because my husband had 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 looked at um, sort of the options of getting mortgages and things. And there were plenty of mortgages okay. that we could have got around. And as I say, we could have got 90% mortgages on them because he mm. tried very hard to convince me to do it and he failed. Right. And uh, which he continually points out um, that, you know, I should have listened to him. And I never listened to him. <laughs> That's what all husbands say, though. <laughs> Interesting, though, because as you say, on a serious side, the psychology of that, the mindset, and this is something mm. which you're very big in, and presumably you've learned from that and you've moved on from that, mm. and you would do things differently today. But you've uh, still done okay, haven't you? Oh, yeah, yeah, still doing fine. And, and as I say, you know, it's, it's things that, uh, that happen to you in life that make you make decisions that you make now. And one of the important things on the psychology side for me is that if you can try and remain open for things, if you can remain open to learning, then that's how you can actually grow in whatever field or whatever business or whatever social aspect you want to. It's about remaining open rather than mm. closing down. And as much as I did close down at times because of beliefs that I had that were holding me back, um, as I've grown older and hopefully a little bit wiser, I believe I'm a lot more open now than I ever was before. Okay, well, so, let's, so let's explore that now. We'll just put the property on hold for a bit, but mm. we, we will come back to it. But psychology is very important to you, and you, you, you wanted to be a doctor at one stage. Yeah. That didn't happen, but you, you are a psychologist. Yes, yeah. Well, that sort of started, I mean, I remember when, when I wanted to stay on at school, and my mother said to me, no, you're not staying on at school because you're not clever enough. Um, you need to go and earn some money. And um, she said, you know, you only stay on at school if you're going to be a nurse because you're a girl. Doctors didn't do, girls didn't do doctors in her mind at that time or a teacher. And she didn't feel I was clever enough for either of those. Um, but then I actually did go in as a paramedic and I was a trainer in a, as a paramedic. So it sort of touched it a little mm. bit. Um, but yeah, then when I was in um, mindset and attitude is something and just general communication has been something that's really interested me. And when I was in the military, I started studying neurolinguistic programming. Um, and I was triggered to look at that because a lot of the guys that worked for me and a lot of people that were involved um, were suffering with post-traumatic stress. 
Just before you go on, just in case anyone's listening, not sure what NLP is, very quick overview of what NLP is? So neuro-linguistic programming is about how we interpret the world basically and it's how we, things that we do or that happen affect us and how we then process that and what's the results of it. Mm. And a lot of it's to do with communication and how you communicate with people. Mm. And so I started studying all of that and um, and, and I, st I was studying it, as I say, a lot to do with um, trying to identify how I could best work with people with post-traumatic stress that I had within the military, guys that were working in my team. And later I also benefited from the knowledge I'd learned because I ended up with post-traumatic stress syndrome as well. Okay. Um, so that was my first real sort of taste because I'd always been interested in the medical side. I'd always done all the medic stuff. I was a uh, a volunteer within the military on the medical side for emergencies so it always been there and so I, I, I studied lots and lots of different things around psychology when I was in the military um, and also since I've come out and since I've come out I've also fully qualified as a, as a business psychologist um, because I wanted to pursue that further because one of the things that I did when I came out of the military was I became a business coach and an executive business coach and and all of that psychology element was brought into that. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I just pursued all that. And, and, and the more I learned about that and the more I investigated that, the more important I felt it was that we just stay open to every opportunity because you never, ever know what an opportunity is going to appear from in front of you. Mm. Okay. Totally. So this is the Progressive Property Podcast. Mm. So for anybody who's listening, who's thinking, well, that sounds quite interesting, but how does that apply to me? What would your response be to that? Why does it is this of relevance to anybody in property? Oh, absolutely. Well, well. In, By the in way, a, I know it is. But yeah, I'm absolutely. Asking the question. Yeah, I know. Yes. I know. And um, and the thing is, in a number of ways, because one, it's about um, continually learning. Hmm. You know, and Progressive are so great at that because you know there's new products and new services that are coming on all the time, and you know anybody that thinks they know everything are deluding themselves. Hmm. And so if you stay open to the fact that I want to learn, you will always learn something new. Sometimes, I mean, at, at one point, I, I've, unfortunately, I've not had the opportunity to do it as much now, but, you know, I used to go along to loads of the multiple streams. And people would say, well, why do you keep going to them? Mm. Because it only takes one person to say something in a different way, mm. and you actually then will pick it up differently, depending on your own preferences and your own styles. And plus, it's also a great way of meeting new people. Mm. So from, from the psychology side of things, I would say is that keep learning. Because mm. it, the longer you keep learning, the healthier you're going to be. They prove now that, you know, by continually learning new things, it helps with um, uh, eliminate dementia and all sorts of things. Mm. You know, so, you know, and I'm getting to that age where I need to be aware of that too. Well, I'm sure that's <laughs> not true, but there we are. But, uh, right. but yeah, so stay open to learning, okay? Mm. And the other thing is about, on the psychology side it's about starting to understand what people want and how they communicate with you mm. okay and in property if you're looking for joint venture partners that is exceptionally important because I've seen so many people and people that have approached me in fact I had somebody yesterday that called me up who wanted me to invest in a project and they came straight in to me with talking about this is what I can offer this is what I can do this is what, and they started reeling all of these benefits off what they were doing they had no idea what I was interested mm. in or what I wanted mm. um, so start understanding what other people's wants and needs are 
and then look as to whether or not it is actually a fit with you. So on the joint venture side, it's imperative. If you're out there looking for below market value deals, again, you want to look at what it is the vendor wants. What is the vendor looking for? Um, you know, my business partner, Alan, he, he would have spoke, he's spoken on a number of occasions and he's even spoken to you before. And he talked about a particular vendor that he was working with and they wanted a certain amount of money, but actually they wanted a certain amount of money, why? Hmm. What was the critical amount that they needed? And by finding that out, he was able to structure a deal that actually benefited the vendor, didn't give him the big amount of money that he wanted straight away, but it benefited the vendor and it also benefited him because he would never have brought the project if he couldn't structure the deal that way. But it's about finding out what other people's needs are and then seeing whether that it's going to work for both of you. So it's imperatively important within the property world. One of our greatest tools in property is actually a nice cup of tea, isn't it? Absolutely. Sit down and have a cup of tea with yeah. somebody and just talk. Yeah, yeah. See what they have to say. And the other thing I think as well is that um, you know not to be defeated by things or not to dismiss things. We were talking with one of our partners recently where they were trying to um, um, arrange a joint venture, some joint venture funding from somebody. And they were getting a lot of blockages from this individual. And the more he talked to me about the blockages that he was getting and the comments that this individual was making, um, I knew that the individual was interested in actually doing some investing with him because I've seen that happening before. But he has a lot of limiting beliefs that's holding him back. Mm. Now, the partner that was talking to me about it says, I've just written him off now. I'm not, I'm not even going to talk to him about it anymore because he's just obviously too negative. And I said, don't, don't. Don't close that door. Just let him know what you're doing. Don't ever try to bring him on board again. Just let him know. When he's ready, I'll almost guarantee from everything he said to me, when he's ready, that individual will come back. But now if that partner blocks it off and never speaks to him again about what he's doing and giving him that opportunity, one, he's closing the opportunity for that person to actually get involved in the investment. But two, he's closing down the opportunity for himself to have another good investor. So it's about staying open and just staying engaged with people. Yeah, totally. I mean, we're all on a journey, aren't we? And we all move at, at our own pace. Yeah. Mindset to me is the most important thing. Mm. And that was one of the things which I realised coming to Progressive. Mm. It's all about mindset. The technical skills, we can teach you. Absolutely. You can learn in a couple of days what it took me years to learn in property now. Mm. But if you don't know how yeah, to apply it. I know it, that feeling. And if you don't have the belief. Yeah. You won't apply it yeah. quite simply. It's a, yeah. For me, it's just as simple as that. And that goes back exactly, Peter, to what we were saying about staying open to new learning and staying mm. open to new opportunities. Okay. So winding back to the property, mm -hmm. your learning was now looking back, you wish that you'd been a bit more aggressive on the financing side and mm -hmm. not bought them all for cash. Mm -hmm. But it must be a nice feeling to buy properties for cash. Oh, it is, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. not the quickest way of building your no, portfolio. No. So how did it move forward from there? Okay, so it moved forward that we started building up in the 90s. Um, my husband and I started building up a portfolio of properties. Um, and it was always planned that I would be leaving the military first. Um, but circumstances dictated that that didn't happen. And my husband actually left the, the military in the um, late 90s, um, which was a lot sooner than I did. Um, now, I, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do other than that he didn't want to go and work for anybody else. 
Um, so he took a bit of a sabbatical and a bit of time off trying to find himself and do what it was that he was going to do and wasn't really quite sure what he would do. And, and we weren't that happy with the way our properties were being managed. And that's something else I would say to people that are being, you know, that are in the property world is you've got to be comfortable with whoever's managing your properties. And at that time we weren't. But when we were both busy in the military, we were letting it go. But when he was going through, well, what am I going to do with my life now? He started managing our properties. Um, and doing that then we realised how badly managed they'd mm. been before so he was just quite happily poodling along managing our properties and then a few other people started asking about well could you manage our properties because you know what the tenants that we were have had were starting talking to other tenants and landlords around and saying how much better service that they were getting um, <clears throat> through working with us and my other motivation was that I had a sense that he might think he was going to become a kept man and I wasn't going to have that. He had to go and find himself a job. So um, so we started up a letting agency. Um, in fact, no, we didn't. That's not right. We, we were managing them unofficially ourselves um, initially. And then I found a letting agency franchise that was for sale. And I thought, oh, well, this is a good idea. We'll get the letting agency franchise and then he'll get all the proper training and everything else. Um, and so that's what we decided to do. <clears throat> now, it's a new franchise company. It hadn't been set up very long. Um, and there was some good training in it. But actually, maybe it was coming from our military background. We didn't think it was very efficient. We, we thought there was an awful lot of improvements that could be made on it. Um, so we ended up taking over the franchise company with the original partner stayed with us. Um, but we've now got the franchise company as well. So we took that over. Wow. And, um, well, you never do anything by halves, do you? <laughs> <laughs> no, I told you. I told you. So, yeah, so we took that over and that was going well for, for... And once that was taken over and we set up and established that and got all the new operations in place and everything, I then sort of moved away very much from the property um, and left him totally to it. So he was doing all of our property stuff. He was doing the letting agency. He was doing the franchise stuff. And I just went back then full time to my military career because I never really saw property as a business. That's not what I was doing it for. I was doing it for a pension. Ah. Um, and I never focused on it on as a business. Again, maybe if I'd focused on it as a business in the first place, I'd have approached it a different way. But that's not how I saw it. It was just something that I was making use of my money for. Okay, well, that obviously changed a little bit later. But just going back to the franchise, can I ask the name of the company? Just Let's. Just Let's. Just Let's. So that is your franchise and you actively seek franchisees? Yeah. Now, I've got to say it's, it's very much Midlands based mm. and it's um, we have been very, very quiet on it for, in, for a number of years for a number of reasons. We've only got a few offices. Um, and the reason for that is when we first started, we were looking at doing lots of recruiting um, and got some offices up and running. And then we decided to stop. And it was it was my husband and, and the other partner that were quite happy to do that. And I think it's really important to, to understand that people have different drivers and different ambitions. And it it doesn't mean that one is right and one is wrong. So if you go for somebody like Belvar, they probably said started out, he's actually ex-military as well, which I found out the other day who started that. Um, you know, he's got massive franchises all over the place. And, you know, his drive was to grow big and get lots of people in. And other people, they might be quite happy with five, five um, single lets. There's nothing wrong mm. with that. You know, you've got to appreciate that just because you want something and I would have potentially been the one that would have been pushing on the Belvar route and getting loads and loads. 
But you know, that wasn't my focus. My focus was still in my military career. My husband's focus and our other partner was in the Just Let's and they were happy with what they'd achieved and where they were and that's absolutely fine. Now there's been a, a slightly different direction and I know that next year that they're going to be starting recruiting on that again. Again, I'm very hands-off and not involved in any of that. Um, but that's certainly, it, it's up to individuals and I think it's really important because we meet so many people in this community, some that have massive projects with multi-million pound one project and then somebody else will say to me, well, I've only got two single lets. It doesn't matter. Mm. You are where you want to be, where you are at this time and you can work towards what you want to achieve. It doesn't matter what the person next to you wants to achieve. It doesn't mean that their goal's right and yours wrong. And I think we've all got to accept that. Totally agree. We've got to do whatever's in our flow. Yeah, absolutely. Totally in our flow. Absolutely. Yeah, and two byte lets for most people, that's a massive achievement. Absolutely. And if, you can, if you've done two, you can do two more. Yeah, if and you want to. If you want to. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in terms of the franchise then, anybody who's thinking of setting up a letting agency and wants a bit of support, mm -hmm. helping hand from somebody who knows how to do it properly, who is efficient and effective, yep. they need to contact you. Yeah, absolutely. At some point? Yeah, definitely. But not until next year? No, not until next year. We're so, not doing any recruiting So depending until next upon when year. you're listening to this, this is 2017. <laughs> if you're listening to this in 2018, pick up the phone to Pauline. Yeah, Or absolutely. email her or messenger yeah. or something. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So the property side's just ticking over. At that time, it's your pension. You're back in the military. Mm -hmm. What happened next? So um, this military career was going really well. And... Um, during over the next few years, um, there were a lot of things that were going on. I was focusing on what I was doing when I was going to leave the military. Would you like to know what my plan was? Sure. Because plans change, as we know. They do. So my plan when I left the military, and I had it already all lined up and sorted, was that I was having two parts of my year. Because by the time, towards that, the end of that military career time, my husband and I had split up. We still worked together absolutely fine. Um, and um, my children were grown up. Uh, well, they weren't grown up at that time, but by the time I left the military, they would have been grown up sufficiently. So it was all planned. I'd have a two-part year. So my winter season would be skiing, and I was going to be doing ski instructing. And my summer season was going to be scuba instructing. Mm. So that was the plan. And the property business would carry on in the background. And so that was the plan for there. Um, but that didn't happen um, because I, uh, because of uh, an injury that I sustained, it I was it was um, I was due to go out of area into theatre again, and I had an accident, and I wasn't able to go. And so I ended up for a couple of years being in rehabilitation, and then I was military discharged. And so I decided to go into uh, coaching and training because I knew that at that time I, I was not able to walk very well um, for quite part of it um, and I couldn't do my skiing, I couldn't do my diving, I couldn't do anything. So life changed big time for me mm. and as we discussed right at the beginning I was very very sports focused and now I couldn't even walk to the end of my road. And how did you cope with that? Very difficult, very, very difficult, because my whole world changed at that point. My whole world changed at that point. I, um, I hadn't long been... Um, so let me try and work on, on what things there were. So how do, when Oh, okay. 
So I hadn't actually separated from my husband at that time, but it was just in the throes of separation, that we were in the throes of separation. And so not only was I going through a relationship that was, being, that was breaking down, but suddenly all of my physical release that I had in my sports and my team activities and everything, and I was big into dancing at that time and ice skating at that time. And so I had all of my leisure time was, was evolved around, uh, around um, sports and activities and very active with my children in those areas in sports and activities. And so that all changed and my plan of my future life when, it was going, when I was going to leave the Air Force had changed. So it was about taking re-evaluation and stock as to, okay, well, what can I do? Um, you know, I was in a fortunate position that a lot of people aren't because I was medically discharged. I had a good military pension that I was coming out on. So it gave me some breathing space as well. I also had my property portfolio. We also had the letting agency. So I wasn't in as bad a state as a lot of people were. And this, I think, is something that's really important to remember, too, is that you look at what is your current situation and however bad it seems to you, there's always people much worse off than you. I spent over three months in the military hospital and people that I was working with, people you know, outside were saying to me, oh, it must be so awful. Your life has changed so dramatically. And it did change dramatically, but you know what? I'd had a really, really good life. You need to go and sit in the military hospital and sit beside these 18 and 19 year olds who have had hardly any life and they've come back from out of area and they've lost limbs or they've mm. been severely disfigured. And you think, do you know what? My life is easy in comparison mm. to what they do. And you look at mindset, the mindset of these young people that are coming back from, from um, war zones and getting through this is phenomenal. So we've got so much to learn from them. And I think the, thing, the important thing is, and that was one of the things that came home to me, do you know what? Yeah, things can go wrong. And things can seem really bad, but there are always people so much worse off than you. And you can let things get you down and then, you know, just say, I failed or I can't do it, whatever. Or you can say, do you know what? There's always going to be a way to get around this. There's always going to be something you can do or something you can achieve if you put your mind to it. Now, I knew that I had a load of different skills and things that I could bring. Um, and I, as you know, I was already very much involved in studying psychology and different things. I had always been involved in training. So I developed that further. And actually, even before I left the military, I managed to secure myself a job um, in, during my rehabilitation time because I wasn't going to not be working. So I secured myself a job as an entrepreneurial coach um, working on a government-funded program because I ran a number of businesses alongside my military career. You already know about the property and the and the um, and the letting agency, but I also was a fitness trainer and I used to travel around Europe on my weekends off teaching people to be instructors. I ran a massage business. I um, had an after-school club, so I'd run loads and loads of businesses. So for me, it was quite logical to go into helping people set up new businesses. So that's what I did and I got that secured before I went in there. And then I focused very much on coaching and training and, and bringing all of that into it. And then for a number of years, I worked as a business coach, first of all, in startup business in entrepreneurial businesses and then I moved into both public sector and private sector at senior level so I had then a number of clients at, at director level of international companies or I was also um, an advisor for a number of charities on boards of trustees for their senior trustee levels so I worked in that area focusing around communication and business growth 
Um, and that's really where I then saw my life going. Fortunately, after a few years, I was um, recovered enough that I was able to get back to skiing again. Never done the slaloms or never done the moguls since, but I still can go and enjoy skiing. Um, I've been back scuba diving. I've even played volleyball on the beach, so that's been quite fun. So, you know, you, you get past it and you go back to these things. Um, and I saw my life was now going to be around business and coaching. But so then that, that changed. Why did it change? I was about to say, why did that change? Yeah. So, you see, so what but, happened was... By the way, I have to say, you're one of the busiest people I've ever interviewed, I think. <laughs> I just feel exhausted listening to everything that you do. So that... How do you do it all? That's a, that's a podcast for another time. How do you be so effective and efficient? So, well, the question is, am I effective and efficient? Maybe that's the discussion. Um, yeah, so the reason it changed then was my son um, left university and he was in a bit of a dilemma. And my son in himself is a very interesting character because uh, one time when I was, I was actually training, um, my son was going into university. So I'll just roll back a little bit to tell you the story on it. My son was going into university and at the time I was out in Goa in India doing some training, uh, training people in NLP. And he phoned me up and he said, Mom, I've made a really big mistake. This was his first semester in university. And he said, I've made such a mistake. And I said, why? He says, well, you know, I just don't know whether our university was the right thing for me or not. Um, because the time that he had before he went to university, the choice that he was faced with was, should I be go to university and study physics and um, physics and maths? Uh, should I go to become a professional rugby player because he was already playing at high level semi-professional rugby? Or should I go and be a professional dancer because he was already an international competitive dancer? So he had those and then he phoned me from university and he says, I've made a mistake, I've really made a mistake. Um, and um, it, wasn't psych it wasn't physics and maths, it was physics and sports science that he was doing. And I said, why? He says, I've chosen the wrong course. I thought he was going to say I wanted to go back to rugby or... or um, or dancing or something. And he says, I've made the wrong choice. He said, I don't want to do the sports science. I need to do the, psych the uh, physics. It's more challenging. So we went through this whole thing. Is, is it a mistake or is it just a changing route and staying open? So anyhow, he then pursued and got onto his uh, full psych um, physics degree. And when he left, he then says, I don't know what I want to do now. Was it the right choice? Should I have gone rugby? Should I have gone dancing? Because I don't know what I want to do. All I know is I don't want to work for anybody else. So will you start a property business with me? So I said, yeah, okay, I'll start a property business. Now, my idea of starting a property business with him was that I would just coach and mentor him in his new part startup business, and I would carry on with my life as it was. And it wouldn't really, it would just like taking another client on. That was my view. Um, but actually, we got started, but as soon as we got started in property, um, I then realised, okay, if, we're gonna, if he's going to approach this as a business, I can't offer him property business, property information like there is on the market. Now, I can do the business element, I can mentor him from my own perspective, but I can't give him all the things I've heard about that are on the market now. So we started researching who to um, was offering property training. And it was quite interesting because I found out that there was property training right on my doorstep. Mm. Because actually I'd been investing in property in Peterborough when Rob and Mark were still in school. Mm. Mm. But I didn't even know about them. It's like this thing when you get a new car, suddenly mm. you see that's that car everywhere. So we found out about Progressive. And actually it was him that went along, first of all, to one of the training because 
again, I said, you go and get the training because you're going to be doing the property stuff. Um, so you go and get the training. So he came along, absolutely loved it. Um, and it was him that arranged for me to come to the JV day. So you were the very, very first person from Progressive that I ever met. Mm. Um, and so that's how we got involved in that side of it. And so then from there on, I sort of took a different perspective as to, okay, so maybe this is something I want to find out more about um, from the training side. And so really that's how we got involved in property training with Progressive in the first place. Um, and because none of that was around when I started a property or sure. when you started yeah, property, absolutely. it wasn't there. And so, so anyhow, I still didn't really intend going into it full time. I just wanted to have enough knowledge to support what he was doing. But then we got really, really busy in what we were doing. Um, and bit by bit, I ended up spending more time in the property than I was doing in my other business. And um, he ended up going back off to university to do his PhD and has come back out since. And so now we have um, been growing the property business since. And I've more and more nearly, I would say now probably 80% of my time is all in property rather than in my my older business. I still have clients from my other side of my business, um, but very invariably everything is now around the property uh, and side. And what's your main property property strategy at the moment, Pauline? Now it's it's development now. Okay. So it is development now. Right. Tell me about that. What are you developing and how did that come about? Okay, well, so that was interesting again because that came about because we, Aidan and I, took the mentorship programme with, uh, with Progressive. The VIP? With the VIP programme, yeah, with Progressive. And uh, on that program, I met my now business partner, Alan Christie, and we started the discussion because I was interested in investing in one of the projects, in one of the development projects that he was doing. Because at the time, we were doing service departments, and I was getting really fed up trying to find groups of service departments together. And I thought, you know what, it's got to be a simpler way. So how about just building a block of mm. service departments? Well, you and don't do Alan, things by halves, do you? <laughs> <laughs> and so Alan actually had a project on that was, you know, that that was his plan to do, was to build these. And so I went to have a look at investing in it. Uh, but, you know, what we missed the opportunity. The, the, he already had found an investor for that particular project. But that's when we first started really talking about what things, what opportunities there were and what strategies we were involved in. And it was really from there that I saw... Um, I saw one I didn't realize how much experience Alan had had in property development um, until I went up to to visit him in Scotland. I thought, you know, he maybe had just had a couple of properties that developed small development projects. And I didn't realize the depth and mm. the scale of the knowledge that he had and the experience that he had in it. Um, so when I went and met him and we, we started um, talking about different things that we'd done in the past, it was very clear to me that not only had he got the um, a, an immense amount of experience, practical experience, but he had an incredibly um, gifted way of explaining exactly what he'd done. So to me, he had natural teaching and training qualities. And being very much a trainer myself and being involved in that environment, um, I asked him, had he ever considered, you know, doing some training? And he said it's something he would like to do, but because he'd no, had no experience, he didn't think it was something he'd be ready for in a number of years. Um, however, we fast-forwarded that because, you know, I've got a bit of a hurry-up mode and yes. I like things done fast. So we fast-forwarded that. And actually, 
We founded um, Development Discovery at the beginning of 2016 um, with Aidan and Alan and myself started that company up um, with a view to actually enabling people to fast forward into property development because I think it's really important that people don't go out of their depth but I also think it's equally important to be aware that as long as you've got the right support around you, you know, if you're in the progressive community, you will have met some fantastic people that are doing amazing things. But you know what? There's nothing special about any of them because as you said earlier on in this in this um, interview, you can teach people the technical aspects. Mm. It's the mm. mindset that's, that's totally the mindset. issue. So the technical aspects can be taught to anybody who's got the mindset to learn about mm. it. So there's nothing special about them. And that's what I really want people to to be aware of and it is what we're proving in the concept that we've got now is that if you've got the mindset and you've got somebody that can support you through it with the technical aspects you can achieve whatever you want to achieve and um, so we wanted to set up something that was different and it wasn't just a training company and um, so that's where we want people that they're actually doing it because the other problem with getting into development and people will have found this even if they're trying to get into HMOs or SAs it's a bit of a chicken and an egg situation so investors and commercial lenders don't want to lend to you unless you've done it before mm. And it's exactly the same thing in development. So if you, you know, if you want to go and try and build 11 apartments, they'll say, well, show me where you've built them before. Mm. Uh, if you want to build even a house, how have you built it before? And so what we wanted people to have was practical experience and we all wanted to give them the opportunity to earn money while they were learning. Um, and so the program that we've set up is heavily um, assessed on the people that we bring into it. It's not that you can just sign up and join us. You have to be um, to to make an application, and the whole board view the application to decide whether we think you're the right fit. Um, and then what we do is our program. We give the training. Um, we teach them how to raise funds themselves, how to find sites, how to go through everything that's needed from start to finish. But we also expect them to be doing it. We expect them to be at the meetings with the architects, with the planners, on site and all of those sort of things as part of their, their journey. And in return for that, they also get a share of the profits on the projects at the end. So they're earning while they're doing their learning as well. That sounds a fantastic package, Pauline. So for anybody who's listening to this, who'd be tempted to jump on board, put an application in, how do they get in touch with you? Okay, so they can find us at Development Discovery. They can find us on Instagram or on Facebook at Development Discovery as well. Um, if you want to message me personally uh, at pauline at discoveryhub.co.uk, I'd be more than happy to respond to you. And um, But I would say that we only take very, very small numbers. So we only take 15 people a year in on the programmes because we want to make sure you get the very, very best attention and build the best teams um, so that you can actually go ahead and do this. But if you're interested in property development and you want your hand held and you want a team and you want to pick uh, the brains of people who know how to do it, you've gone before, it's obviously a, a great opportunity. Absolutely, and you know, we'd be delighted to get people from the progressive community because we already know they've got the right mm. mindset and they've got the right focus to, sure. to do this sort of thing. Website address? Web address? Developmentdiscovery.co.uk.com. Yeah. .co.uk. Both okay. of them all go to the same one because they both point to the same one. Brilliant. Well, Pauline, it's been fantastic having you here. I'm sure we could talk for many, many hours. I'm sure we will on other I'm occasions. Sure there's a, I'm sure we will. <laughs> Maybe we'll get you back in a year and we'll review and see how you're getting on. That'd be lovely. We'd to, love to talk do Talk to that. some of the people who've joined you. Yeah, that'd and be And see how they're getting on as that'd well. That'd be brilliant. So yeah. thank you ever so much for coming in. 
You're welcome. This has been the Progressive Property Podcast. I've been Peter Jones, and if you have any ideas for any subjects that you'd like us to cover, get in touch with me, get in touch with me on Messenger, get in touch with me through the community, through the Facebook group, and if it looks like a subject which could benefit the whole community, we may do a podcast on it. In the meantime, here's to successful property investing.